Um, let me read to you from Second uh, Corinthians um, chapter eight, and just one verse, and then we're going to turn to the Old Testament passage. But I'm going to uh, just read this to you. So, Second Corinthians eight in verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Keep that verse in mind as we study uh, this next character. We've looked at the life of uh, Abraham and Moses and David. Uh, certainly some of the most well-known characters of the, of the Old Testament. Tonight we're going to look at another Old Testament character who's, who's well known but not so well known. And I think we're going to see something a little bit different in his life than maybe the way we've looked at his life in the past. And we're talking about the, uh, the individual who's got a book named after him. Uh, the individual's Job. And so if you would turn with me to the first uh, chapter of Job. <clears throat> we're not going to go into uh, what a whole lot of the book does with uh, between Job and the dialogues between Job and his counselors, but I want us to just look at the character of Job, the person of Job, a little bit tonight, okay? So we're going to do that by looking at the first chapter uh, primarily, kind of go into a little bit of the second chapter. So we see in the first verse here of Job chapter 1, in the land of Uz, there lived there a man whose name was Job. Now, I wanted to find out where Uz was. <laughs> the, the rhyme wasn't intended there, but it happened. So I looked in, I looked in the maps in the back of my Bible. And uh, you know, the first maps, uh, the map of the patriarchs is the oldest place. And I looked for Uz, and I couldn't find it. And so I go to the commentary, talks about us, and says we're not real sure where it was. Uh, we think it was probably um, in Edom, uh, and Edom was, was east of um, the Promised Land. Uh, the reason we think that is from Lamentations chapter 4, uh, verse 21. If you want to jot it down, I'll find it before you do so. Uh, anyway, Lamentations 4.21, where we read, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who live in the land of Uz. And so that's kind of suggests to us that uh, Uz was in uh, Edom, uh, which was, uh, again, east of the, of the Promised Land. Um, but it's a commentary that I'm reading on Job right now. He says... Um, the importance is not where it is that Job lived. The importance of us is where it is not. It's not in the land of Israel, right? Not in part of the promised land. It's a, it's a, different, it's a different place. The land of us is somewhere other than Israel. We're not sure if Job would be considered part of the uh, descendants of Abraham. In fact, he probably was not. Uh, Job existed most likely, um, may have been a contemporary with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, 
Uh, we're not real sure, but there's some things, some clues uh, in here about, uh, about Job that would suggest that it, it was, uh, he was very early. Um, the story, uh, this from the commentary, he says, the story does not begin with the uh, whatever year of so-and-so, king of Israel, or the king of Judah, it doesn't begin with that. Um, or at any uh, identifiable time in Israel's history. In fact, as we shall see in verse 5, Job seems to be a kind of patriarch who offers sacrifices on behalf of his family in a way that would have been strictly forbidden after the institution of the priesthood. So in other words, when Moses comes and he and we see the introduction of the priesthood with Aaron. Who was allowed to give the sacrifices? Priests. Priests. And Job wasn't, uh, at least we don't seem to find anywhere that Job was, was called a priest in that sense. And so to offer sacrifices here, that wouldn't be a good thing if he wasn't a priest. It would have been a, it would have been a bad thing. And we don't, we don't have that uh, going on with him. His name was Job. As we go on, where he lives, and kind of the idea here that it wasn't in Israel, uh, but it was outside of Israel. Uh, says there, in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. Why was his name Job? Just because we don't see anybody else who has that name. We don't have any idea of what the name Job means. It's just uh, the commentator said they called him Job because that was his name, right? It's like Daryl. I don't know why my parents named me Daryl. I know why I have the middle name Glenn. That was my dad's name. But I don't know why they named me Daryl. They looked at the name and thought it was cool, right? They liked it. My granddaughter's name is Hazel. I don't know why they named her Hazel. There's nobody in my family before that was named Hazel. They liked the name, you know. So that's her name. It's a pretty special name right now. But Job's name is Job. We don't see any genealogy here. He's the descendant of so-and-so and so-and-so. And so. There are not these genealogies in the book of Job. He's just there. He's just there. His name is Job. We don't know a whole lot about uh, you know, th that aspect of him. We do seem to understand that because he was outside of Israel um, and that he is making sacrifices for his children, he is probably before Moses sometime, and um, and uh, and he lives outside of, of uh, Israel. So we do find out something about him, a little bit more about him, as we look in verse two. What are what are some things we find out about his character as we look at verse two? He had he had seven sons and three daughters. He had a lot of he had a lot of children. Let's go back up to verse one. Is what I was looking for for his character. The second uh, second uh, sentence of verse one. What does it tell us about? Huh? He was God fearing, blameless, turned away from evil, turned away from evil. Yeah. Feared feared God. Uh, the NIV says he was blameless. Um, upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. Blameless doesn't mean sinless, by the way, at this point, because Job himself acknowledges the fact that he uh, is a sinner and has sinned, 
1326 and in 1416, both of those verses, uh, he's acknowledging the fact that he has sinned in the past. But what's going on with him right now, he knows is not a result of his past in sin. God has forgiven him of that. But he knows that he is a sinner. So when he says that he's, or when the scripture says he's blameless here, it's not talking about him being sinless. He was a sinner. Um, born in sin. Um, just like David in sin did my mother conceive me. Right? And so he, he understands that. But uh, what does it mean about being blameless? Uh, uh, it is, uh, it has been said, it talks about personal integrity but not sinless perfection. Personally, he has a great deal of integrity. And people who see that know that, and know that about him, that he is an upright uh, person. Um, blameless and upright. Uh, upright is a word that sounds almost synonymous, but seems to be a little bit of a difference here. Um, the fact that he is upright shifts the focus slightly from Job's own integrity to the way he treats other people. Right? Um, someone has said that you know what you see is what you get with Job. Saw a man who was uh, filled with integrity and, and um, he wasn't too faced. He, what's on the inside is what's on the outside with Job as well. So you what you see with him, and so his uh, upright in his dealings with other people, he dealt. Uprightly, he, if, if he did a business deal with you, you didn't have to worry about uh, getting, uh, you know, the raw end of the deal. Job wasn't about that at all, and everybody knew that about him, okay? He goes on, says, uh, so not only was he blameless at his personal integrity, not only was he upright uh, where, uh, in, the, in the way that he treated other people, but he says he feared God. Um, feared God. We see that uh, somehow he must know something about God. We don't know if it's passed. It must have been passed down through oral tradition at this point. He knew who God was. Knew that there was a creator of the universe. Knew that he was the one who was to be worshipped and honored and that his life was to be lived to glorify him. Uh, he, he knew something about God. Knew that this God had the right to judge the, judge the whole world. And so he, uh, he fears God greatly and he gives thanks to God as God and he doesn't confuse God with other things that many in his day might have done he turned away from evil um, as we're going to see he was a very wealthy man and certainly there were opportunities for evil that presented themselves uh, temptations might have come up even as they did you know Jesus in the wilderness when Satan comes and tempts him, but he, he turns away from it, and Jesus turns Satan away from him. Well, it seems that Job is doing some of this turning away from evil. When uh, temptation uh, comes, uh, a man in his position, certainly there would have been all kinds of opportunities there, uh, but he would turn away from uh, evil. And this is uh, the critique of him that not only Scripture gives, but we're going to look in a little while, and, well, we can do it right now, um, you look down in verse 8 where the Lord's speaking to Satan and he, he uh, uh, the Lord's uh, critique of Job in his life. Uh, and he says to Satan, if you considered my servant Job, there's no one like him on the earth. Um, he is blameless and upright and he fears God and he shuns evil. Right? Those four things are there when God's own 
verdict of Job as he is uh, talking to Satan here. Okay, so we see what his character is like. Now we're going to see his great wealth in verses 2 and 3 um, here. He is quite wealthy. Um, you know, he's talking about the Proverbs talks about the children. Blessed is the man who has a quiver full. Right? He has quite a few children, right? Ten. That's a pretty good number. It's like the, the perfect number, complete number of completion, right? Ten. Got seven boys, three girls. Pretty good, pretty good number, pretty good ratio. And, you know, back then you think when you have sons, you're really blessed. That's what you wanted to have was a son. And and so he has seven sons and three three daughters. He's blessed with uh, with a large family and, and children like this. Um, but that's not all that he has. What else does he have? 7,000 sheep. That's, that's quite a few sheep, right? Yeah, that's a, um, that's a lot of sheep. Huh? Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. Um, 3,000 camels. 500 yoke of oxen. Seven, uh, 500 donkeys and a large number of servants. I'm thinking he had to have a lot of property too, right? In order to maintain these animals. 7,000 sheep. You know, you have to be, they can't stay in one place to eat. You gotta move them around because they eat the grass and eat the uh, roots and, and kill it all. So you, you, there's gotta be a lot of property along with this. And you measured your wealth in those days in the amount of, uh, uh, you know, property you had as far as animals and so on and so forth. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a very large number of servants. And then it goes on. What does the end of verse 3 say about him? Greatest of all people in the East. Greatest, greatest of all people in the East. It's talking about his... Um, his standing and his wealth, right? He's got more than anybody else in the East. Um, so he was, he was like the most wealthy man. You, you put the uh, uh, Sam Walton and the Rockefellers together, right? And this, this is Job. He's, he's got all the wealth you, you need in the world. And so um, he was the greatest, greatest man of the East. Um, as we look at this, um, it says it, it, it's a happy scene uh, with one shadow. The happiness consists in a good man being a great man, a pious man being a prosperous man. It is a picture of the world being as the world ought to be, a world where the righteous lead. It is a world where prosperity gospel seems to be true. The shadow is the sad possibility that people might say that these are that, that they are pious while in their hearts they are being impious, saying that they're in their hearts that they wish God were dead. At this stage, we cannot imagine why recipients of such a single favor. Uh, of God would ever want to curse God? Why would men and women uh, bless with such harmony, blessed with such harmony and abundant prosperity, do anything other than praise and love God from the bottom of their hearts? 
God gives us so much. And we say, thank you, Lord, when, when we get that answer to prayer, right? When I was in Bible college, we had uh, a chapel every weekday. You had to go to chapel. And at least once a month, we would have testimony chapel. And students get to give up, get to stand up and give their testimony. And there were always these students who would stand up and talk about that they had a financial need and that they prayed about it. They didn't tell anybody else about it, but they prayed about it, knew exactly how much they needed. And so that morning, where I went to school, Columbia Bible College, they had the bells that would ring, and they were loud, and they would get you up. Uh, the bells rang at 6.15, so you had to get up at 6.15. And then you were supposed to have your quiet time, and they had a 30-minute section there for you to have a quiet time where you read the Bible and pray. So students would talk about having this financial need, and during their quiet time, they prayed that God would meet that need. And then after breakfast that morning, they went to the... Uh, uh, to the student uh, student union there where the mailboxes were, and they went and opened their mailbox, and there was an envelope in there, and they opened it up, and lo and behold, the exact amount that they prayed for was there. And we go, oh, God is great. God is so good. We love God. And, and who wouldn't think that that? I remember thinking I had material financial needs and praying and going to my mailbox, expecting it just didn't happen that way for me. I, 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 didn't, I, I don't know. That says anything about me or not? I hope not. But anyway, um, uh, but who wouldn't? I mean, and so everybody would hear that and go, "Oh, God is so good," and we do. I mean, we we prayed for Dot um, and and her knee and her surgery, and then it would do it. And we see how good she is, and we go, "God is good. Mm -hmm. He really is." And so we we look at these sorts of things and say, "Well, yeah, that that that's all good." And so Job, imagine, with all of the material blessings, he's got these wonderful kids. You know, they're the ones who make the straight A's in school. I'm sure they were tops in their class and, and all of this sort of thing. And um, he's got this great wealth. He doesn't have any material needs whatsoever. And so he's always saying, God sure is good. Look what he's done for me. And so this moves us um, to verse 6. Okay, verses 6 through 12, we see the scene changes. The first, uh, here in the, in the first uh, five verses, we have uh, Job. Uh, we, we've been given a little bit of a biography of him. A godly man, a wealthy man, and uh, a man who... Uh, who, who uh, Fears God and he shuns evil. He's, he's a pretty good guy. And now we have a scene in heaven. Um, in the verse 6. <clears throat> One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where did you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. And so God here ready to present one of his stars, right, to, to Satan. And uh, <clears throat> verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him uh, in all the earth. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. 
what we've seen so far. That's what he's like. And God is looking at him and going, yeah. And, and he, you know, when I give him something, he, he thanks me for it. <clears throat> Verse 9, Satan's response. Does Job fear God for nothing? I mean, you know, God, the way that Job acts towards you and stuff. Does he, I mean, you're his sugar daddy, right? Whatever he wants, he gets. You give it to him. You lavish it on him. Surely he's not going to ever say anything bad about you. He's not going to stop praying to you. Everything is good and hunky-dory for him. You've got, <clears throat> verse 10, have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? You have blessed the works of his hands and his flocks and his herds that spread throughout the land. But, you know what? If you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, he will surely curse you to your face. What's he saying? God, this prosperity gospel thing is really working for Job. And that's the only reason he's God feared. That's the only reason he shuns evil, because you give him everything he wants. But I guarantee you, you take it away from him to where he's left only with you, that you're the only thing he still has. Abraham wins the battle, and he goes, and, and the king of Sodom says, you can take all the bounty. He says, I'm not taking any bounty from you. And God comes to him in the very next chapter and says, I'm your reward. I'm your, your shield, your very great reward. Look, Abraham, look at what you get. You get me. Satan says to God, you leave Job with just you, and what's going to happen? He's going to curse you. Because he doesn't really want you. He wants the goodies you can give him. So Satan kind of throws down the gauntlet here. He will curse you to your face. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And so Satan goes out from his presence, and we see what happens here. Verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing <coughs> nearby. And the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off and put their servants to the sword um, and put the servant and put these servants to the sword. And I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. Oh man, enemies have come. They've killed his servants and taken his flocks. And while he was speaking, another messenger came in. The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the and the servants, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. And while he's speaking, verse 17, another messenger came in and said, uh, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off and put your servants to the sword, and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this point, you've got to be thinking, Job doesn't want to see any more of his servants just right now, but verse 18 <laughs> While he was speaking, yet another servant came in and said, Your sons and your daughters were uh, feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, and it collapsed on them, and they are dead. 
and I am the only one who is escaped to tell you this. Job, the most wealthy man, the greatest man of the East, has so much that God has given to him, and he recognizes that it's God, he fears God, and he shuns evil, remembering that God has done all these great things for him. Satan says you take it away from him. That's the only reason he follows you, because you're, you give him so much, but you take it away from him, and he's going to curse you. Every bit of his material wealth, including his sons and daughters, has been removed. And now he's left basically nothing. Left. The richest man on earth now down to nothing. Uh, the richest man in the east down to basically nothing. Right? What's Job's response? Satan said he's going to curse God. If you remove all this stuff from him, he will curse you. What does he do instead? He worships. <laughs> Verse 20, at this Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground in worship. And said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. God, you gave me everything I had, and you decided to take it all away. You were great to me then, you're great to me now. You're still worthy of my worship and praise. Did he curse God? Satan said he would when he, everything got taken away. He didn't. He says, no, God, you are still enough. Well, we go on in, in chapter uh, 2. In chapter 2, you see uh, another scene in heaven. There's the angels there, and, and the, Satan comes before the Lord once again. And uh, the Lord asks him where he's come from, and again from roaming the earth, going back and forth. And then verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> he didn't curse me. There's no one like him on, uh, there's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. And here Satan responds, skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to his face, to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, very well, then. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. You must spare his life. And when we find out what happens here, he goes on, um, Satan uh, verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores on the soles of his feet and the top of his head. And Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself as he sat among the ashes. Man, that's miserable. Yeah. You've lost everything that you had that God had given to you. And you still say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken us away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And now, his, his, physically, he is incredibly distraught sitting in ashes and taking a piece of pottery to scrape his skin with. That's miserable. So incredibly miserable. And we're going to find out is in, in chapter 3, you find out that he's saying, I wish I'd never been born. 
wish the, the day that, uh, that I was conceived hadn't, or the night I was conceived, it hadn't happened. And he, he goes on to this. Well, back to verse 9 here. Uh, the first of his comforters, his wife, <laughs> comes in and says, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. This is what you want. Just curse him. You know if you curse him, you'll die. Quit cursing him and die. Get some relief from this. And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. <laughs> you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job's response is incredible. And Satan has said, you know, you take it from him and he will curse you. He doesn't. He continues to praise God in the midst of it. God, you are enough. You are you're what I'm looking for. You're, you're all that I need. And then finally, I want to once again read to you from this because I want us to. You remember we started out tonight, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Talking about someone else's uh, wealth, right? And he gave it all up. To earth. So the first thing to say is that Job is an extreme book. Job is extravagantly rich, wonderfully happy, and extremely great. He is not only one among many great men, he's the greatest of all men of his region. And then his downfall is extreme. He does not go from moderate riches to a measure of poverty. He goes from extravagant riches to absolute destitution. He does not uh, do so gradually. He does so in a day. He does not experience the loss of one child or even two. He loses all ten of them. And he does so in a day. This poses a problem for us as we read the book. However, deep our suffering, it is unlike, is unlikely that our experience can ever do more than very approximately mirror Job's. We have never been so great as Job, nor so fallen, never so happy, nor so lonely, neither so rich, nor so poor, neither so pious, nor so cursed, all of, the, all of which points to the fulfillment greater and deeper than your life or mine. Job is, Job in his extremity is actually but a shadow of a reality still more extreme. A man who is not just blameless but actually sinless. Who was not just great, the greatest man in a region but the greatest human being in history. Greater even than merely human. Who emptied himself of all his glory, became incarnate, and went all the way down to a degrading, naked, shameful death on the cross, whose journey took him from eternal fellowship with the Father to utter loneliness on the cross. The story of Job is a shadow of a greater story than Jesus Christ. I hadn't looked at Job like that before. And now you can't help but see it. And it is a wonderful story. We, um, this is the only time we're going to deal with it right now but I, I think next year I don't know if it'll be on Sunday mornings or Sunday night but we're going to get the story of Joe in some more detail but uh, and we'll go through it and look at the different speeches and everything but just for the time being to look at Joe 
as a foreshadowing of the one to come. One who would have such incredible comfort, such incredible wealth and riches to such destitution. And in all of it, never sin. It comes to comes for us. We know that all of the Old Testament, all of Scripture is pointing us to Christ. We hadn't necessarily seen it in Job, but that is what the book is about. So we can rejoice in that. All right. Well, let's